All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from Patreon. Lots of gems, lots of how much did Bruce Lee sleep, lots of Yip Man 10, The Reckoning. This time, he's pissed. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Yo, Mikey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Seagong. How are you? Good, good. It's good to be here. Uh, great this, to be here. This feels like this is practice for a few months from now when we're in Hong Kong and we do a uh, Hong Kong-based episode of the Kung Fu Genius, just the two of us, because Dre doesn't want to come. Yeah, that guy, suburban dad. Yeah, lamest and shameless. Yeah, I've yeah. actually been really thinking about that Hong Kong podcast a lot, trying to work out the... The, the technical logistics to make it sound super good while still getting the like Hong Kong uh, yeah, sky the vistas skyline and everything, you know, and the vistas, yeah. all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like it's going to be pretty fly. And if we can, I think we should fit two in. Definitely. Well, I just talked to uh, Bruce Willow, our oh, boy Bruno yeah. from Portugal, mm-hmm. a stuntman and martial artist extraordinaire. Extraordinary. And uh, yeah, would definitely like to do an episode with him. Uh, recently, I just recorded an episode for his uh, YouTube channel. I, I don't. It might be out by the time this episode comes out. It's not out yet at this moment. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's coming to Hong Kong with us. And so we just, we talked yesterday about uh, shooting a lot of footage in general while we're in Hong Kong, almost like a travel log and, uh, and like a video log and then do some KFG stuff and do some martial art choreography stuff. So nice. um, yeah, super excited about that. But it uh, would be way cooler if Dre came, but he's like, nah, nah. Oh, yeah, he's got to be in Jersey. He's got to be in Jersey. Who, yeah. who picks Jersey over Hong Kong? Seriously. Who picks Jersey over anything? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, uh, for those of you who want to support the Kung Fu Genius podcast, the best way to do that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Kung Fu Genius. Mm-hmm. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to episodes early. You get things like my Instagram reels for uh, that are normally for subscription only on Instagram, but I include it there as well. And higher levels of support, you get all sorts of different goodies and stuff. And that is the best and most direct way to support the Kung Fu Genius podcast, as well as buy my awesome books, especially my new wooden dummy book. Uh, the link for that is in the description below. And uh, you can also go to the online shop. I have all sorts of cool stuff there, including Kung Fu Genius t-shirts. Yeah, well, you know, to put it into context, this coffee costs five bucks each time. So you can afford the Patreon. That's right. And we need that Patreon money so we can afford the coffee. All right. <laughs> so uh, what do you got for me? I think we got some Patreon questions we first. We do have some Patreon questions. All right, questions. here we go. All right. So um, first one coming up. Gerald John, in parentheses, parentheses. Good, good. Not parenthesis. Hey, look, you know, it's, first of all, it's aluminum, not aluminum. Uh, there's, there's an extra I in there somehow? <laughs> Where's that extra I come from? <sighs> the Queen's yeah, English. Yeah, anyway. The Queen. Um... <laughs> the Queen is dead, okay? All right? Screw her English. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I speak the English of Jesus, okay? And if American English is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, all right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. <sighs> mm, anyway. Any ideas why some lineages call this Poonsao and others call this Luxao? Oh, yes. Um, so that, that uh, question, uh, which I already responded to on Patreon, um, that, is a, uh, that was, is a response to one of the Instagram subscriber reels uh, where I was showing some of the basics in Chisao from you know, the, the first double-arm Chisao exercise, which is called Poonsao. Sometimes it's called Luxao by some other Wing Chun lineages. Um, one thing I think people need to understand is that um, Wing Chun terminology is 
at least in my understanding, uh, a little bit more flexible than, say, the terminology of some other Kung Fu styles. Uh, some other Kung Fu styles, the names of the movements and positions and exercises, are um, very standardized, and oftentimes they're very fanciful. It's not a spinning back kick. It's the dragon whips its tail. You know what I mean? So they, they have these like very fanciful names, um, you know, like the supporting the pillars of heaven. Like, you know, like they have these really romantic, po poetic sounding names. And then you get to Wing Chun, which even in Chinese, and that was the funny thing um, before I started to get into learning what all these different phrases and sayings and words meant in Chinese, I also thought that by learning the Chinese terminology, I, I would uncover a lot of mystical secret meanings behind it. And uh, quite to the contrary, <laughs> lear, le learning what these words uh, mean in their actual language when you strip them of any kind of mysticism because you're coming from another culture, they're very straightforward and almost um, very pedestrian, you know, literally just means slapping hand, all right? And if you go up to someone who's a Chinese speaker but not a martial arts practitioner and you show them the two characters, and you say, what do you think this means? All right, that's always a great test, by the way. If you have Chinese friends, uh, especially those who speak Cantonese or read traditional characters, if your Chinese friend is from mainland China and only understands Mandarin or only reads simplified characters, then this game won't be quite as fun. But if you get someone, let's say, even from Taiwan, they're not a Cantonese speaker, but they can read traditional characters, or you get someone, for whatever reason, they're able to read traditional characters, but they're not a martial artist. Yeah. It's always a fun thing to go, like, uh, what, you know, show them something like Bong Sao or Pak Sao and be like, oh, what do you think this means? All right. Because they're going to look at it solely based on the Chinese and they have no context that's been added from years of doing martial arts. Right. right. And I remember uh, one time I had asked uh, a, um, uh, someone from Taiwan who, who read traditional characters, say, what, is, what do you think Pak Sao means? And they looked at it, they said, oh, it's just this. Applause, because it's actually the same phrase for applause is to pax out, to slap hands. All right, <laughs> and then you realize, well, the, the the secret there is in the sound it makes, right? Yeah, um, and that's pretty much it. But sometimes you hear like Western Wing Chun instructors who oftentimes don't speak any Chinese. And they will tell you, well, the Paxao is. And then they'll come up with this very long, convoluted, secret, mystical sounding thing. And it's like, bro, mm -hmm. it just literally means slapping him. It just yeah. means you take your hand and slap it. All right. How you use it in practice, that has a lot of nuance, right? So, uh, I mean, of course, how you apply an outdoor pakta versus an indoor pakta versus how you use an outdoor pakta in, from distance versus from in distance. There's tons of details and nuance. None of those details and nuance are implied from the terminology because the terminology by itself is super simple. The context and the details and the how and the, you know, exactly how you do it and when you do it and the timing and all that entire body of knowledge of how to use it, that's through the martial practice. That is not implied by the word. But a lot of Westerners want these words to, to have way more meaning than they do, right? Yeah. As if there's one word in English, for example, that means like, to take this very specific example, 
the slapping hand that comes from a certain angle going towards your partner's core and maintaining stick, like as if there's one word that can mean all those things, right? Mm -hmm. And so th there's like this idea that all of these terms have like uber um, nuanced meaning. Some of them do, some of them don't. So here, to come back to the question, the difference between why do some instructors call the basic double arm chi sao exercise pun sao and others call it lok sao because lok and pun both mean to roll in Chinese or something equivalent to that. So rolling arms. And so when Wing Chun Sifu's kind of just use terms that describe what something looks like or what you're doing, then it's normal that different sifus might use a different word for the same thing because these are kind of actually not very detailed. Rather, they're very vague. Yeah. So you, you could have one person use one word for roll and another sifu use another word for roll, but it just means roll. All right. Um, I think lok sao is not used as often anymore because in the meantime, the term lok uh, also can be used to reference the male appendage. So, um, but, oh, I th really? but I said, yeah, but I think that that's like a modern accretion of meaning for that word. So maybe in the 50s, it didn't quite mean that. So you would hear people call it loksao a little bit more back then, but now it's kind of has like another slang. So At why, least, like, yeah. Why are people so offended about forefingers? Forefingers. Well, th that's the appendage they're talking about, right? Oh. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> when one says the male appendage, we are talking about the forefingers of women don't have forefingers. All right. So anyway, so that's the reason. It's just a different term for the same thing. Uh, these things are a little bit more vague than a lot of Westerners want them to be. They want it to be super, super mystical and sound deep sounding. And it's literally like slap hands, bro. All right. Well, the, the question I guess I have that, that you've probably answered on the podcast Never. and definitely in private. It's just that how much of this is that like kind of like, you know, the customer or like kind of the practitioner wanting to find that meaning and how much is it that the Sifu of whoever it is, it's like, like kind of just makes this shit up, right? right? Now, are they making it up or did someone tell them like, you know? Yes, well, that, that's a very good question. And I think the easiest way to kind of suss out an answer to mm -hmm. Uh, that query is you, you do a, a reverse thought experiment. Okay. Now imagine Wing Chun. I know it's going to sound very sacrilegious. <laughs> uh, people are going to get upset. Yeah, because a white guy is going to say that. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, someone commented the other day, yeah, some white guy calls himself the Kung Fu genius and just wants to insult Bruce Lee. It's like, I love people who are new to the podcast. And it's like, if anyone thinks I use the, the, the nickname Kung Fu Genius seriously. It's like, you have a comprehension issue, mm -hmm. all right? Have you ever even seen the opening, like, to the to all of our episodes? Have you ever even heard the Kung Fu Genius rap song? Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous, okay? Uh, I don't take it seriously, but if some people do. They get very upset. And then they always invoke the, oh, some white guys, yeah. as if, like, <laughs> well, okay. Well, uh, imagine I'm uh, half Hispanic instead of a, just a pure white guy, if that makes you feel better. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Imagine Wing Chun is an American martial art, that um, all the terms are in English. So it's not qi sao, it's clinging arms. Uh, it's not lap sao, it's grabbing hands or grab and hit. You know, imagine all these terms are in English, right? And imagine then in the 70s, for whatever weird reason, uh, this American martial arts of, called Praise Spring, all right, uh, became huge in Hong Kong, all right? 
And so now you have Chinese praise spring instructors. We'll call them coaches because they wouldn't be sifus, right? Because it's an American martial art. So you have a, uh, a, a Chinese coach of praise spring uh, fist fighting, all right? And this coach is going to teach in Chinese because they live in Hong Kong. But the terms are all in English, okay? So when you flip it that way, you know, you start to understand what it's like for Chinese people watching Westerners teach uh, Wing Chun, for example, right? right? So you would have a, uh, a Chinese Sifu say, uh, okay, uh, uh, all right, um, like we are going to practice clinging arms, okay? We are going to play all right, just reversed from English to Chinese, all right? Uh, coach, because they don't say Sifu, all right? They speak Chinese, but instead of saying Sifu, they say coach. Um, clinging arms, uh, all right? What, what, what is the meaning of clinging arms? Okay? Now that Chinese coach has to interpret that American phrase for his Chinese student. And that's how the sausage of these things are made. Automatically, that you literally just flip the script yeah. to this hypothetical American martial art being taught in, in, in Chinese, but using Ameri uh, English phrases. And then someone wants to know, and then the level of uh, the explanation that the Chinese Sifu give, the Chinese Sifu or the Chinese coach is now the interpreter of a foreign language to native speakers, all right? And then you would automatically see, well, it would depend on that Chinese coach's understanding of English, of their understanding of what this really means, and it's kind of up to them to create the narrative. And then sometimes instructors will do things purposefully. Uh, I'm not gonna say they're gonna do things like uh, intentionally deceptive, yeah. but maybe for this one student, in order to get them to understand something, they frame it a certain way. And maybe that frame isn't 100% accurate to what that word means, but the student will understand it based on that explanation. Right. But now that person might go on and explain it using that frame, and then there's now a distortion. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to see that. We, we often just think of it coming from uh, massive Western misinterpretations of Chinese stuff, but it, it's, just, it's just a language problem. All right? right? And so I think that every Sifu or every instructor of Chinese martial arts... Um, should learn the phrases of their style, what they actually mean, devoid of the additional context your training adds to what qi sao means, for example, right? Yeah. Like learn, qi means to cling. Then maybe learn like five other ways that term is used in Chinese that are non-martial arts related. And then you get a better idea of what that means in general. So it's not like you have to learn the entire language. It's just that you can maybe go into the stuff that you are using regularly and make sure you're not um, uh, misappropriating that. Having said that, a lot of Western Wing Chun Sifas, just to keep it in my own wheelhouse, they just make shit up. Yeah. They just make shit up. Because look, if you don't know something, all right? Like a student asks you, uh, Sivu, well, well, what does this mean in Chinese? All right? And you, let's say you don't know the answer. I mean, it can happen to me. There's a lot of things I don't know in Chinese. Student asks me something I don't know. I tell them, all right? You have two choices, all right? You can either admit you don't know or you make shit up, all right? And people have a really hard time 
understanding that the position of I don't know is an intellectually honest position. No matter how much of an expert you are in any field, yeah. uh, you, there are many things you don't know. And even if you are an expert, let's say you're an expert in history, but you're an expert in Greek history, ancient Greek history. And then someone asks you a question about Spanish history. Mm -hmm. Well, you might know something about it because it's kind of your wheelhouse in general, but usually that historian will say, I'm not an expert in Spanish history. But what they're going to hedge it and put caveats and warnings to like, all right, I know something about that because I've read a few books. I studied it in college, but I'm not a specific expert in this. Yeah. So you have to defer to an expert on that. But here's what I think. And it would be housed and couched with this big caveat. Mm, very rare that a Wing Chun, Western Wing Chun Sifu will do that. Right. Where they'll go like, well, I don't actually know what that term means because I don't speak Cantonese. This is what my teacher told me and this is what I understand of it. Or they can just say the intellectually honest thing. I don't know. But let me see if I can find that answer for you. Yeah. But most don't take that route. They don't go the intellectually honest route of saying, well, I don't know. Or maybe let me go find that out. You can either admit you don't know or option B, you make shit up. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people go for option B. Right. So anyway, what else we got from Patreon? Ah, okay. Well, that's, I like that. So many people are confused about basics in Wing Chun Chi Sao. Some view it as a collection of moves, and masters confuse their own students by talking of principles and concepts without telling them what's what. The 15 Chi Sao Fundamentals is my attempt at explaining Wing Chun Chi Sao from a perspective of principles, but also with the basic techniques required to express those principles. It shows the framework for Hong Kong Wing Chun Chi Sao, in particular, the training of Pun Sao and Lap Da. This is necessary training before going on to the higher and more spontaneous expression of Chisao. Right now, if you use the code KFGCHISAO, you can get a signed copy of my book for the price of the unsigned one. Click on the link in the description below and use the code KFGCHISAO at checkout to get a signed copy of this full-color, over 230-page manual on the vital foundational training exercise of Wing Chun. This offer is good while supplies last, so get yours today. Anyway, so Matt. Matt. Yeah. Hey, Sifu Alex. If you were speaking to a student who had become proficient or somewhat proficient in all three forms, Sunim Tao, Chum Q, and Buji, how would you rank the forms in importance to assist him in becoming better in Chi Sao and more self-defense type fighting? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, as you know, and you may have figured out from doing this podcast for a couple of years, uh, I'm often asked questions of, of this nature about you know, how do you prioritize this? How do you teach this? When do you do this? How, is, how does this relate to fighting? And these often come from uh, Wing Chun practitioners who are maybe not from our lineage, which right. is totally fine. But it's, it's a little difficult because one, it was never my, the point of this podcast to use it as a, a trumpet to, to talk about, you know, the WT lineage and the WT that I teach. Of course, it comes up quite regularly because it is the Wing Chun I teach. It is the Wing Chun that I do. It is the Wing Chun that I have the most experience with. Um, but it, it was never my intention, maybe much to the chagrin of some of my podcast listeners, to teach Wing Chun on this podcast. Yeah. This is a discussion podcast where we talk about things. It's not a podcast where I go like, this is the correct way to do Bong So if you want to learn how I do things. I have online training with me on Zoom. We have videos, tutorials, all that kind of stuff. So what ends up happening is we end up getting these really um, well-intentioned questions that come from a completely different perspective of teaching Wing Chun than what I have. Yeah. So uh, and, and so 
I often are I'm in a weird situation where I have to either defend a way of how Wing Chun is taught that I don't teach, which is kind of the framework of this question. Or I have to say, well, all of this is not the way I do it. This is how I do it. Right. And it's not really my intention to tell people the way they might have learned Wing Chun is not correct or something like that. Yeah. We don't have this problem in WT. And, and, I'm, gonna, and I'm not saying that as someone, like I'm not saying, oh, WT is better than the other styles. There are a lot of other Wing Chun styles that have a very intelligent teaching progression. I think Wong Sun Lung Wing Chun is a really great teaching progression. Um, I think um, certain lines of Hoka Ming Wing Chun have a good teaching progression. Moyat's got a good teaching progression. Um, what you get out of that is kind of your mileage may vary. But there's this kind of idea in Wing Chun that kind of floats around that you just learn the forms and the applications in the Chi Sao are kind of taught willy-nilly by osmosis. So like you have some people that they teach you nothing but forms and then you start Chi Sao. They have some that start you on Chi Sao day one while you're learning the forms. They have some that make you do the Sunum Tao for a year before you even do anything with another person. So the problem is that Wing Chun has unfortunately or fortunately, I mean, depends on how you look at it, become a suitcase term that can mean so many things. When people say, how do you judge a student that's proficient in this? And I say, well, I wouldn't have to judge a student that way because that's not how I teach my students at all. I wouldn't be in that situation. Again, I'm not trying to throw shade on any other style of Wing Chun. The, the way we teach it and the way I think many other uh, progressive Wing Chun styles teach it is that the students learn the fighting applications parallel to learning the form. Right. So for example, you start learning the Siunam Tao form, you also learn how to use those movements against someone who's attacking you, right? You learn the Gansau in the first part of the form, then you learn how to use the Gansau against someone giving you a low punch, for example, right? You learn Paxau in the third part of the form, and then you learn how to use Paxau against someone who's trying to punch you, and you do that in sparring. So you have the form, your footwork, your basics, your single arm chi cell, just at the Siunam Tao level, alongside learning how to stop someone from murdering your face with a punch or trying to grab you or grab your arms or put you in a headlock, all parallel to learning the forms and the traditional methods. Then you learn chum cue and you start learning double arm chi sao step by step. And we have a very step by step program where we show you how to do basic chi sao ideas. And then we show you how to apply it in go sao and in fighting and then how to, you know, how to translate this stuff into fighting skills. So I don't have this thing like, oh, all of a sudden someone has learned all three forms or the first three forms. And now I have to somehow figure out how to teach them how to fight. If someone has learned the Buji form in my school and they don't know or understand how Chisa works in practical application or they don't understand how to stop someone from giving them a kick or punching them or trying to tackle them, then uh, why did I teach them the three forms? All right. So it, it, it's, um, it would be a defense of a teaching system that I don't use. Right. Uh, so, so that's the thing. You know, you have... Um, what I meant earlier by suitcase term is like, for example, martial arts is a suitcase term. Yeah. Because uh, martial arts, you have um, on one extreme, you have something like, for example, Tai Chi, maybe, but even more to that Tai Chi spectrum, you have like just Tai Chi for health. Let's say Tai Chi for old people, where they're just using it to kind of stay aligned and move and get basic exercise, right? And then on the other end of that spectrum, you have mixed martial arts or you have like the Dog Brothers. Do you know the Dog Brothers? The Dog Brothers. 
Hmm. Yeah. The Dog Brothers are like too extreme even for MMA. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, the yeah. Dog Brothers are basically, uh, they, 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 you know, and they're from way back in the day. Right. They're not like a kind of a new thing. And they would practice stick fighting, but like Actually. for real actually practice it yeah yeah and then mix <laughs> it in with just... punching and kicking and grappling and everything like that so that's yes. wild all right mm -hmm. um and so but but you have like the dog brothers and you have mixed martial arts and you have bare knuckle boxing on one end of the spectrum and tai chi for old people on the other end yeah all under the term martial arts so when someone says like oh will martial arts help me with self-defense it's like which one if like if you learn wushu you can be a really tremendous athlete, but I don't know if that's going to teach you how to keep someone from choking you, for example, right? Um, but that might not be what someone wants from that martial art. That's why they get what they want from wushu. So it's not to say wushu is not good or tai chi is not good. It's what do you want to do your martial arts for, right? Yeah. But the term martial arts themselves, is, it's a suitcase term, right? which requires further defining if you're going to have a conversation about martial arts in general we have to really actually narrow it down yeah there is no martial arts in general all mm -hmm. right but wing chun is kind of that way because on you know in the world of wing chun you have very traditional strains of wing chun which just do forms and prioritize how good the forms are, are performed and prioritize how well drills are done and on the other side of the spectrum you have for example, maybe people like Alan Orr, who's a traditional Wing Chun guy, but also is big into mixed martial arts and trains Wing Chun for mixed martial arts, yeah. including teaching his students how to kickbox and grapple and all that stuff and integrate it with the Wing Chun that he teaches. Well, all of that is under the rubric of Wing Chun. So then when you say, well, how do you do, how do you teach this in Wing Chun? You have to, again, like the suitcase term of martial arts, you have to narrow it down. Are you in a Wing Chun school that's more traditional and you're teaching it more as an art form or for self-betterment? Or are you solely worried about self-defense on the street? Or are you interested in fighting in the ring? Or do you want a little bit of everything? Or do you just want the one thing, right? So again, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not here to trumpet the way I teach things. I, I teach a classical Hong Kong style Wing Chun with an emphasis on modern training methods and self-defense. I, I don't specialize in sport fighting or ring fighting, and I, but I don't shit on sport fighting or ring fighting either. I don't specialize in it because if I wanted to get into that stuff, prepping my students for ring fighting, I would have to get in coaches, I would have to have special classes and special conditioning because it's a different thing. Yeah. And I respect that and I have a lot of uh, um, admiration for people who do that, but it's not what I do. Right. But I don't shit on it. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, now Wing Chun is also a suitcase term. And so uh, that's why it's in, difficult for me to sometimes defend questions um, that the, the grammar of the question assumes I do things the same way. Yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. All right. Well, what else we got? It's actually a little bit of a two part, actually. The okay. other, it's a short second part. Also, do you have any tips on how to practice forward pressure without a partner? Love the podcast and thanks for considering my question. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get a lot of this stuff like uh, how do you do XYZ without a partner? And, you know, really the trick with Wing Chun is you really do need a partner because it's one thing to, to be able to develop, say, forward pressure against a static object or to press, do isometric presses against a, an object or something like that. And it's quite something different to do it with someone who is tr also trying to hit you at the same time, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can do isometrics in different positions where you're just kind of pressing 
uh, keeping your arm relaxed, you know, especially if we're talking about forward pressure, you want that from the upper body mechanics to come from, uh, well, one, you have to have a, a focused intention on going forward. So there's a, there's a mindful aspect to it. Uh, you have to just imagine your, your pressure going forward and that's not mystical or that's not like uh, Deepak Chopra bullshit or anything like that. That's literally, <laughs> that, that's kind of movement science. Even in, even in um, strength training now, they're moving away from going to all these external cues like push your hip here, put this, put this or whatever. And they're going more to uh, the kind of cueing where it's like, okay, you see that dot on the wall, I want you to push your hand towards that dot and letting your nervous system figure out the most efficient path to do that rather than going like, okay, you have to, like in kettlebell training back in the day, you have to press this kettlebell up and you have to keep your shoulder down and put your hip here and push this back and hold this and imagine you're pressing here against this and then you're like, and you're like doing 80 different things and all you're doing is lifting a bell overhead. Yeah. The modern way is like, okay, provided there are no major dysfunctions in the way you move, hold this kettlebell like this, find a spot on the ceiling and press it up there. And your body's gonna kind of naturally find that alignment the way it does with everything else you do. Your, your brain doesn't like to micromanage movement. It's, it's, it's quite adept at figuring out how to move itself. So, um, so having a mindful intention about, okay, I'm gonna press forward, whether I'm doing chi sao or doing an exercise, that's an important aspect to it. It's not purely mechanical. There right. is something in the brain going, you are creating movement and you let the body kind of figure out the best way to create the movement. So you have this mindful in, uh, um, component, uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of hooey bullshit kind of way. I mean that yeah. the most standard, non-esoteric kind of way. Um, <laughs> and then upper body mechanics, obviously tricep and lats are involved in pressing forward. So anything you can do where you put your hands in the various positions, elbow down position, elbow up position, push against a fixed object from the elbow. And then of course the other component is that to, connect yourself to the ground in whatever way you do it in your style. Right. So that can be done by isometrics. I recommend isometrics in three different positions. So you have a position that's close to your body, a mid position and a position that's a little further away and train, you know, full blast, you know, pressing against a fixed object for seven to eight seconds, take a break, do that a few times and do it in three positions. That's helpful, but it's not nearly as good as working on forward pressure with a live partner. So sometimes it might be a good idea to even grab a student to teach, even if you don't feel you're a qualified instructor, but grab someone you can build up as a training partner and use them to experiment with these things. Um, the other thing is, back to the mindful thing, not to get like too hooey or whatever, but <laughs> if you wanna get good at forward pressure, just like if you wanna get good at punching, you wanna get good at kicking or fighting or grappling or whatever it is, um, you have to be a little obsessed with it. And I don't mean this to the, the point where you're no longer a functioning human being, but it's like if you want to get good at, let's say, forward pressure, uh, then make forward pressure your thing for the next three months. Think about it every day. All right. When I was thinking about forward pressure as a teenager, I worked for BMW motorcycles. And in old BMW motorcycles, uh, there were little uh, springs yeah. in the brakes. Right. These little spring clips. And I would buy some of them from the parts department. And so I had this little mini spring and I would push it and I would let it go out and I would bend it and release it and press it. And I started to become obsessed with the nature of a spring because this was gonna help me understand how to train my arms to be like springs themselves. Yeah. So it's like, sometimes it's even just being as geeky as like getting a little spring and playing with it and looking at it, how we bend and how it goes forward and press it. And then thinking about making your arms move in the same way and um, if you 
do uh, strength training of any sort. So, you know, I go to the gym and lift some basic weights. When you are on the decline, all right, so let's say you, you, you lift something up and you got to bring it back down. Well, instead of just bringing it back down and then pushing it back up again, as I bring it back down, I maintain pressure going, I, I maintain basically negative forward pressure. I yeah. push something and instead of just going back here, I hold pressure on the way back. And I imagine this is someone pressing my arm, it's overcoming, but I'm still maintaining pressure. If their arm goes away, this thing would spring out right away. So you wanna get good at forward pressure, get a partner, and to obsess about it and just think about it all the time. Because there's no other way your brain is gonna change the way it be, uh, behaves. Yeah. And you have to make a new habit if you want forward pressure to be your new habit. The only way it's gonna become a new habit is just inundating your brain with this thought constantly. It's immersion. It's thinking about forward pressure until it's just a part of you. Yeah. All right, what else we got? All right, well, that's great. Good to know. So no, we I love our I love our Patreon questions. They're always they're always really good. Yes, absolutely. I yeah. just realized so there's not really any opportunities for any Wing Chun menage a uns. Menage a uns. <laughs> you know. For one, no, not really. That's a shame. Yes, I yes. do like a nice menage. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> That's for another podcast, everybody. <laughs> Wing Chun after dark. Anyway, um, <laughs> I just wanted to get menage un there for today. That's uh, uh, <laughs> Mikey's Profanosaurus uh, um, contribution for the day, folks. Anyway, yes. um, Robert, uh, Roberto Santiago. All right. Question. I just saw the film Young Ip Man on Amazon Prime. Sorry to hear that. Yes. If you have seen it, please evaluate the Wing Chun fight choreography. Thanks. Uh, I always get thrown off by these titles because um, the titles of kung fu movies often have these like uh, metamorphoses that happen, right? So you'll have like the actual title in Chinese, which is often at odds with the English title because it, it's not always possible to have a direct title, but you, 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 a direct translation, as I say. But you'll have like a Chinese title and then you'll have the original American, or I should say English title of that film. And then that film happens to become popular in the Western world. And to, in order to sell the film more easily, they will sometimes change the English title again. Right. So, uh, yeah, for example, um, uh, Donnie Yen's film, uh, Kung Fu Jungle, all right, has a Chinese title, and the original English title was Kung Fu Jungle. Mm -hmm. And then they wanted to, Welgo wanted to mark, market that film to the US, which is a great movie. It's one of my favorite Donnie Yen wow, movies. It's fantastic. And they decided, uh, no, Kung Fu Killer is a way catchier title. So then there was a while where people were asking me, have you seen Kung Fu Killer? And I had seen Kung Fu Jungle. And I was like, no, I, I, I don't know. Because in the American or international release, they changed the English title again. Yeah. From the original English title. And I usually watch these movies right when they come out. So whatever English title I know would be the original one. And then mm -hmm. whatever the thing has mutated to, uh, apropos 36 Chambers of Shaolin. Yeah which is a direct translation of the Chinese title. Is the original title of that film. But I guess in the 80s, like 36 Chambers sounds really obscure. So Master Killer, all right? So that becomes then the title of the movie. Notice it's always killer. Kung Fu Killer, Master Killer. It's always death, kill, 
or something like that that they have to put in, right? I always forget that because I never ever, I've never known that film anything other than the 36th Chamber of the Shaolin Temple. It depends what your introduction to it was because in the 80s, uh, those Shaw films were shown here in the States, especially here on the East Coast, uh, under what was called Black Belt Theater on Saturdays. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they had all those titles where it was like, you know, uh, even you look at some of those Shaw titles, the American or let's say international release of those titles in the 80s was almost never what the original English title of those films were. So it was like, you have to learn the Chinese title, and then you often, if you're an expert, have to learn two alternative English titles, the actual one, and then the, the one that they use to market to Americans, for example, who need death, blood, kill in the title of everything, or they won't watch it, right? Yes. Well, think about it. <laughs> think about 42nd Street back in those days, the grindhouse theater days, right? Yeah. So it's like, you, 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 in, in those days where they're showing these ridiculously low-budget, violent films, right? you, you're more likely to go see something called The 36th Chamber of Shaolin or Master Killer, right? So, that's where, so then Young Ip Man uh, sounds to me like one of those bastardized international titles that wasn't the original English title of that movie. Right. So... When it came out, I would have only known it by its original English title. I think it might be A Legend is Born. Right. was the original one. And it, it, it served as a prequel, although it's not the same franchise as the Donnie Yen IP Men films. But it was supposed to be like, it was like, they've since done a bunch of movies with a young Yip Man, because that's what they always do. Wong Fei Hong, first he was always uh, uh, depicted as an old man by Quan uh, Ta King, and then at some point... They do tales of the young Wong Fei-hung, played by other actors, right? Yeah. So they did the same thing with Yip Man pretty early on. In fact, I think it was maybe the second or third movie that came out in the whole IP Man world was that Legend is Born, which told the story of a young Yip Man in Fatsan fighting ninjas, and the choreography was just ridiculous. So it's, it's difficult for people to understand why, like, I really don't like those movies um, because it's... It's not the same experience for me as it is for casuals, all right? And here I'm going to sound like a complete snob. And on this particular topic, all right? I know, when do I not I sound like say, a snob? Right? Unlike any yeah, other time. Unlike any other time, right? No, but on this particular topic, the IP men movies or Wing Chun in film, okay? I'm going to come off like a complete elitist snob on this title mm -hmm. or on this topic, I should say. Uh -huh. uh, unlike any other topic. Unlike I talk any about. other topic. But as someone who has been teaching Wing Chun for 20 years in New York City and has had the, the chance to spend the amount of time I have in Hong Kong and meet original students of Yip Man and research the topic, I've written books about Wing Chun. It's like, okay, I think I've earned the right to be like, I think those films suck, okay? Um, but there are people, like if you see choreography, all right, who doesn't like a cool well choreographed scene, all right? You, you watch a scene, doesn't matter what movie it's from. You see two guys going back and forth, pop, 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 punching and kicking and ducking and shit breaking, whatever. Like what dude or what fan of the genre doesn't inherently just kind of like that by default, okay? Yeah. So like I get it that there's like, you know, whenever you see martial arts kicking and punching and stuff going back and forth and two dudes fighting and blah, 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 blah. There's an element of like, wow, who, who doesn't like watching a good fight, all right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, I do Wing Chun, right? So, oh, look, this guy's supposed to be Yip Man. Oh, look, he did a Bong Sao. Eh, eh, eh. Wow, it's great. Oh, look, there's a Pak Sao in there, right? And people see these little Wing Chun 
moments in like drips and drabs throughout the choreography and they go, it's Wing Chun. Okay, it's so good, all right? And, and it's like, no, it's not, okay? Yip Man 4 recycled whole phrases of choreography from Yip Man 3, whole phrase. It's like they literally just phoned it in, okay? And just like said, like this five movement sequence would just copy and paste, change, you know, it's a, that whole like a, a, um, a gizmo versus baby Yoda controversy, yes, right? Absolutely. It's like, you know, uh, change, <laughs> change, <laughs> just uh, copy my homework, just copy my homework, but change it a little just bit, a, right? Okay. Just enough. And it's like, you start to see this, right? And then so I, look, I grew up watching Kung Fu movies, all right? I grew up on the classics. Not just Bruce Lee or the Shaw classics, or the Golden Harvest classics. All like the, the like the golden age of Hong Kong cinema, where you had these guys who were just so good at fighting on on screen and stunts and you know all the different styles and everything. And that was the heyday, and they were so good at it. And everything that comes out now, even with IP Man in the title, is a shadow of the brilliance of those original films. And on top of it, you have uh, better special effects now so you can make all of these guys look like they can do things that they really can't and it's not to say that they didn't have you know wires and stuff like that back then but when you watch a Shaw film and you see some dude doing a flip that's a dude doing a flip that's not CGI yeah okay when you see someone fall off of a roof and land on his back yeah he's landing on some pads that are hidden under the floor there but that's a dude who fell down. That's not CGI, okay? Um, and so the guys in those days could really do it, could really imitate the styles, and did it without the benefit of a lot of special effects, blue screen, uh, all this like you know digital editing. And uh, let's face it, Donnie Yen uses a stunt double, okay? Whenever you don't see Donnie Yen's face in any of the Yip Man movies, mm -hmm. he has a Wing Chun Sifu that doubles him to make it look like his Wing Chun is better than it is. I know this because I know people who've worked on the films who had fight scenes with him, and their fight scenes were mostly not with Donnie, they were with Donnie's stunt double. So it's like, okay, Lam Cheng Ying was not a Wing Chun guy, all right? but arguably did the best job playing a Wing Chun Sifu in Prodigal Son. And when you watch that film, Prodigal Son I mean, you could see it's really Lam Ching Ying. So Lam Ching Ying did his homework to learn how to imitate Wing Chun's shapes so that he could be the one doing his own fights and his own stunts. That is far more impressive than Dennis To or whoever this is in A Legend is Born being highly doubled by other people in second-rate choreography that's sped up, undercranked, and uses lots of stunt doubles. And the story's not... And look, I'm not saying the Yip Man movies have to be historically accurate, okay? I get it. These are not documentaries. They're made for making money. But the problem is they're just making him into a Chinese nationalistic clown, okay? Yip Man left China, not because of the Japanese, okay? If Yip Man could see what kind of a nationalistic pawn for China they're making him in these new films he'd roll over in his grave he was a member of the Kuomintang party it's like this is like so on every level these films are kind of offensive to me not in a modern I'm offended I need to cancel them but just in kind of like a they're offending someone whose real life story is far more interesting yeah they're offending a style that could be way more intelligently shown and choreographed 
and it's being done by people who don't have the level of skill. Like this, I think it's Dennis Toe is the guy who plays Yip Man in the, the Legend of Born or whatever, right? Hell, even Anthony Wong, in my opinion, did the best Yip Man of all of them in Yip Man The Final Fight. Some people might not like it because it, it kind of tries to be a little bit of an action movie, but Anthony Wong speaks Cantonese with a Fatsan accent like Yip Man did. Anthony Wong tried to smoke cigarettes in the same style that Yip Chun said his father smoked cigarettes in. He, he gave respect to that role in the way he portrayed Yip Man and made a much more accurate film. Even Sing Lam, the producer of the first Yip Man movie, told me that he thought Yip Man Final Fight is the best out of all of them. All right? mm -hmm. And it's not a crazy martial arts epic. Um, everything else just seems like just bad copies of copies. And uh, the Fat Samurai channel, we did a um, review of one of the newest Yip Man movies. It was a Yip Man, The Awakening, I think it was called. Oh, dear oh, God. Oh, God, it was awful. It was, oh, it was also God. another prequel, like a young Yip Man. Uh, the, the, the same actor who was in, he was a kid in New Legend of Shaolin with uh, Jet Li. Uh, mainland Chinese actor, doesn't speak Cantonese. Already, how can you have non-Cantonese speakers speak playing Yip Man? All right, I don't want to watch a Yip Man movie played by a freaking Mandarin actor. Like, it, like, I don't want to watch it. The same way, if I were to watch a film about a Mandarin martial arts star, I don't want him speaking Cantonese. It's not like I'm an elitist about Cantonese. It's like Yip Man Cantonese, all right? Can we get someone who speaks proper Cantonese, all right? Perhaps maybe with a non-Boston accent. So anyway, <laughs> what else we got? I'm sorry, I was just I was like, wow, Yip Man the Awakening. You know what that sounds like? It sounds more like, uh, you know, he's woken up from suspended animation 70 years later. Yeah, starts like, watching these movies made after him. And he's going, <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? That's the, that's the middle section after he's actually like come out and had to fight some people. Like yeah. in this future that he's never really understand with flying cars. Yeah. And he sits down and then just like goes, oh, look at this, IP man. So, you know, they made a movie a few years back. And when I heard the synopsis, I thought it was actually kind of an interesting story. Mm -hmm. But uh, like a second later after thinking that to myself i read like the first review of it and they said it's like the worst film ever made and it's so <laughs> and it's so bad that like even like the like the wing chun heads that that are like oh did you see yip man the awakening which is like a total turd burglar of a film <laughs> uh yeah by the way if you guys haven't seen the fat samurai and kung fu genius review of yip man the awakening on the fat samurai channel you should watch it it's crazy we i, I think at some point we even had a Archie Bunker reference in there, like, oh, oh Archie, it, it just went off the rails, right? And and so, and so he, uh, uh, Fat Samurai Preston, uh, he's he's so funny, and uh, I, I love doing his show. I wish I could do it more often. He just like he like just talking with him about movies and stuff. It's just so much fun. So um, yeah, but like there was a so this film, I forget the name of it. But it was copying like the Avengers and Justice League. So the idea was that you got these um, like the historical badasses of Kung Fu. And it was Fok Yun Gap, Huo Yuan Jia, you know, from Fearless. The, yep. And uh, Wong Fei Hong, I think. Yip Man. I think Chen Zhen, who's the character from Fist of Fury. Uh, and maybe Bruce Lee or maybe the Chen Zhen was like the Bruce Lee-like team. But it's like these four... Kung Fu, like, in, well, in the case of Fokyung Gap, semi 
realistic. Fok Yun Gap, I know people get upset when I say this, the, the founder of the Jingwu Academy. There's a lot of evidence to suggest uh, he wasn't actually a real person. He's yeah. just kind of made up. Um, but like they all come together to solve some like Kung Fu mystery. Mm -hmm. So, and they're from like slightly different epochs, like, you know, Wong Fei Hong being like from, from late 1800s and Yip Man into the 20th century and Fok Yun Gap's early 20th century. So you have like, and, and then, I don't know, they go in a time machine or whatever. And then they, I don't know, they have to go back or they have to go in the future or something. They, they have some Kung Fu mission they got to go on. It's like Yip Man and Fok Yun Gap and Chen Zhen and, and uh, Wong Fei Hong, like, you know, kind of this like buddy, buddy thing. And I thought that I was like, you know, it's ridiculous, but if you're going to get ridiculous with Yip Man, I would rather than instead of, a, you know, the young Yip Man or Yip Man the Awakening, then go all out and do like an Avenger style Yip Man with all these other famous legends of Kung Fu and then just do something way over the top. If you're going to get ridiculous, which is what they do with all of these IP Man movies. I mean, they just announced Yip Man 5. Didn't he die in the fourth one? What are you going to do now? And, and the poster's ridiculous. It's a wooden dummy surrounded by like a bunch of people who have been like, who are on the ground. As if the wooden dummy just beat the shit out of ten dudes. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, maybe it is. The wooden dummy's pissed for all the crimes committed against it in all the previous four films. All the bad Wing Chun done on the wooden dummy. You know what it is? He's, he, he died, and he, he, but he didn't get to heaven. Or like the afterlife because he hadn't quite finished his mission, but his soul was in the dummy. His soul goes into the, the dummy. dummy. Oh, it's like a it's like a child's play type yes, thing, absolutely. right? So like like Yip Man's soul goes into the wooden dummy, right? Mm -hmm. And then you know all the students are there, and they go by the wooden dummy, and sometimes they swear like, did the wooden dummy just move? Mm -hmm. It's like no, 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 man, you're crazy, right? And then like when everyone leaves, like the wooden dummy walks out and starts murdering people, <laughs> and then it comes back and it's like they they come back to the school the next day and there's like blood on the wooden dummy and they're like. Does someone bleed on the wooden? No, that's kind of weird. Oh, there were like 10 rival kung fu schools that were all murdered last night. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and people suspect, they, they say someone that looked like a wooden dummy. <laughs> so, yeah, I can imagine. Like, look, if you're going to go ridiculous, then go all the way. But this, like, this is not respectful to his legend. I understand it's also not the point of the movies. The point of the movies is to make money, mainly to make money in mainland China. So there's only like three formulas for making money in mainland China for films. And so I get it. These films are actually not made for us, all right? Um, like legit fans of the genre or legit Wing Chun people, right? Um, but I can still make fun of them to my heart's content. <laughs> okay, so... What else we got? Hey everyone, just want to let you know Wing Chun Illustrated is now offering a paperback edition through Amazon, reaching a larger global market. And no, they're not ditching the glossy magazine edition through MagCloud. You can now simply choose the version of this magazine you prefer and the one with the cheapest shipping wherever you live. Order your copy of Wing Chun Illustrated today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping for Prime members. Go and check that out. Okay, so uh, John Rubio. Why does Wing Chun resemble Hakanese martial arts, but is a Cantonese martial art? That's a great question. Uh, so, uh, by the way, John Rubio is also coming on our Hong Kong trip. He's a Wing Chun practitioner. I think he's out in the Denver, or at least Colorado area. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, he's on the Platinum one, too. So he's actually going to take a private lesson with me while he's out there. Yeah, he's a very serious Wing Chun practitioner. He's got really great questions. Well, um, uh, again, um, with a question like this, it, it, it comes down to the terminology you use to categorize something and how much you're willing to defend it, all right? Um, if you say Cantonese martial arts, all right, so are we talking about martial arts then that 
were purely developed in Guangdong province. So Guangdong is a big province of China in the south, and Guangdong is Canton. Yeah. Okay. So the Canton, I guess, is the an- uh, anglicized version of Guangdong. All right. Cantonese is Guangdonghua. It's the language of the Guangdong province, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, so what do we mean by Cantonese martial arts? So we mean martial arts that were exclusively designed in the Guangdong province, or do we mean martial arts that are taught in Cantonese-speaking areas, right? So um, it's difficult to defend any martial art, even Southern martial arts, as a Cantonese martial art, because the majority of the Southern martial arts, which I suppose some people would label as Cantonese, although Canton is not the only Southern region of China, uh, the neighbor to Canton is Fujian. And uh, from what we understand, most of our quote-unquote Cantonese or quote-unquote Southern martial arts actually come from Fujian, all right? They come from, most likely from an, either from or an offshoot of White Crane, all right? And so it can be theorized. I'm, not, I'm just saying it can be. I'm not saying I, I agree with this. I'm kind of agnostic on it. That um, Wang Chun, meaning Eternal Spring, not Praise Spring, Wang Chun Bak Hop, Eternal Spring White Crane, is the original martial art. It is the original. If there's a such thing as Southern Shaolin, uh, there's a lot of evidence to indicate it, that's probably actually the White Crane. Because the white crane is the seed for so many martial arts. We have, we, so many martial arts in the South have that white crane uh, seed in it, whether it's in specific forms like Samchin or just the look and the shape of the arms, the ideas, the techniques. And that also obviously went over to Okinawa and you can see in the Samchin form of Okinawan karate, it is the Samchin of white crane, right? right. So, um, so it's difficult to say that any of our martial arts, whether it's Wing Chun, Hong Kun, or whatever are... Cantonese when we so obviously have Fujian roots in our styles, all right? right. I mean, if, if, if it could be proven that Wing Chun or many of these martial arts have no connection to Fujian White Crane, I would be very interested in seeing that because the evidence is pretty overwhelming that we all kind of come from, you know, uh, uh, we are all somewhat White Crane. All right, right, we come from that, right? And we're talking about, again about the uh, eternal spring, this, the southern white crane, not the northern white crane. There's, of course, a northern white crane, which is uh, unrelated to the southern one, right? So uh, I wouldn't say that Hakka, or sorry, I wouldn't say that Cantonese martial arts, I, I would use that more colloquially in martial arts that are taught in Cantonese speaking areas that are mostly southern. Right. But I don't really think that Cantonese martial arts is a category, okay? Southern martial arts is. And so if we all come from White Crane, which, by the way, is the, in, from the neighboring province of Guangdong, then automatically we cannot really say we're purely Cantonese when we kind of almost admit tacitly that our root comes from the neighbor. It's like, it's like saying, yeah, we're New Yorkers, but um, our, uh, uh, our slang comes from Jersey, mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, Jersey coming it's, back. It's always Jersey Avengers. coming back, right? It's like, yeah, okay. New York might be Hong Kong, might be Canton, all right? But uh, Fujian is New Jersey, all right? <laughs> so, so basically, it's like Frank Sinatra, New York. He claimed him, but he's actually from Hoboken. Exactly, exactly. You know. So um, the Hakka people are a nomadic tribe of people. That's actually what Hakka means. Hak means to invite. 
um, like or guest. Yes. All right. And um, ka is like family. So these are like the, the guest people because they were nomadic. And Hakka people have their own martial arts, but it seems that at some point the Hakka people went through Fujian and picked up White Crane and that blended in with their indigenous martial arts and they brought it to the Guangdong area. So there really can't be Cantonese martial arts. And it's pretty obvious why it looks like Hakka stuff because most likely the Fujian stuff we have isn't even purely Fujian. It's Fujian by way of Hakka Chinese that brought it to the Canton area. So there's obviously going to be Fujianese influence in many southern quote-unquote Cantonese martial arts, and there's going to be Hakka influence in them, even if they are not strictly Fujianese or Hakka martial arts. That's going to be in there because none of these martial arts developed in a bubble. There's so much, this guy learned a little from this guy, and this guy saw that and mixed it in with this or whatever. To think that any of these martial arts were created purely in a bubble without any knowledge or idea of the other guys is untenable, even back then. Yeah. Yeah. So we are all Hakka. We are all Fujianese. We are all Cantonese. We're all a little bit of everything. We're all, to a certain degree, Zapkun. Zapkun yeah. is a derogatory term. means mixed fist, but uh -huh. it's usually that mixed fist, that Zapkun that is like Zapsoi. Zapsoi is Cantonese for chop suey. Ah. All right. And mm. what is chop suey? It's all the entrails and crap that's left on the pan that you just throw it together, fry it, and put it on the plate and call it. It's all the leftover shit. Yeah. So when someone teaches a, for Chinese standard, inauthentic martial art, meaning like, oh, they mix a little of this style, that style, whatever, right? It's called zapkun. And that, that is a, uh, a derogatory term. All right. <laughs> it usually means just kind of made, like mixed up, made, like made up and mixed up bunch of shit or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But if we, we want to take that bite out of it, um, most martial arts are kind of a zapkun, right? Because uh, no martial art can be designed and created in a bubble without outside influences, without looking at what the other people are doing. Would you even want to learn a martial art that was designed without any knowledge of what the other martial arts do? Absolutely not, right? Mm -hmm. So it, w when you frame it that way, people are like, yeah, no, of course. Like, you would be happy to know that the founders of Wing Chun would know what the Hong Kun guys were doing or the Choi Le Fat guys were doing so that they can design stuff to fight against it, right? Like, when, when you think of it that way, everyone's like, yeah, of course, I would be very happy even if maybe some of the founders were from those styles because they would know all the inside secrets of those styles and then would be able to formulate a new way to fight against it, right? When you think of it that way, that is a much more logical, better choice for creating a martial art. But on the hard drives of most martial artists, they think that all of these were created in bubbles in separate tribes. Right. And it's like, if that were true, that would actually be... Um, terrible yeah because then how would you know if any of your stuff even worked or if or or what the other guys were doing so we're all a little top coon <laughs> all right as much as people want to pretend that this stuff is pure i mean look the founder of wing chun had to have been from another style how would you know that there was a problem with traditional martial arts and you needed to create a new refined way of using it if you didn't know some other martial arts? Yeah. You just got hit by lightning one day and was like, oh, I know all the answers to Shaolin Kung Fu and here they are and I'm going to call it Wing Chun. No. The founders had to have had knowledge or come from other styles, which meant that the founders of any martial arts style, traditional Chinese martial arts style, yeah. was a heretic of whatever style they came from. Yeah. They were a rebel. They were someone that broke away. Yeah. We, every single, no Chinese martial art could have been created without the help of someone 
who broke away or apostatized from some other style. Mm -hmm. But the moment that new style is created, then you're not allowed to rebel or you're not allowed to be innovative anymore. Only, yep. It's like only the founder was allowed to be innovative and the followers have to follow to a T. And this is the same problem with mm -hmm. martial arts. So anyway. Uh, what else we got? Was that our last of our Patreon questions? That was the last of our Patreon All questions. Right, so now so we're going to dip into the wild world of YouTube. Yeah, we got time for one more. Awesome. You know what I mean? So um, I just noticed that you're rocking a Lake Oman. I am rocking the Lake Oman, which uh, for people who come with us on our Hong Kong trip, uh, we can go to Lake Oman and pick up one of those. I'm going to pick up four. Yeah, they, they have basically the short sleeve and the long sleeve one, both uh, which Bruce wore in uh, Fist of Fury. He, he, in one scene, he wears a long sleeve one, and then later is a short sleeve Which one. one? I, I like the short sleeve with the cuff. And there's also a short sleeve with the cuffs, mm -hmm. and there's short sleeve without. But Bruce Lee had short sleeve with the cuffs. So this is the actual one you want. And this is the same company. They got the, 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 the stamp in there. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's, it's not like cheap cotton. It's like really breathable, so it's really good. Like for the hot weather, it's actually really great. Is it the same one he wore in the Chinese Connection? All right, let's go to YouTube. How dare you? Uh, connection. Okay, Days of Dragon. What would you call your great uncle? Personally, I called mine Steve. My great uncle uh, is George. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Jorge, because he's Cuban. Right. <laughs> okay, seriously, though. I was keeping with the tip of, like, kind of movies and stuff, which I think we've kind of done. Oh, wait, hold um, on. I can give a serious answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably should. Right. Uh, uh, because uh, the great uncle, meaning in the Kung Fu uh, family terminology, I would assume. Otherwise, um, yeah. you're asking me, we call great uncle in, in German or whatever. Like, I don't know. Well, you know, he's going to reply and go, no, I actually just want to know who your great, great uncle is. Yeah, it's, it's Jorge. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, well, I did a video very early on in the mm -hmm, pandemic. Absolutely. With the the uh, not so complicated Kung Fu family tree. Uh, I would highly recommend anyone who practices Chinese martial arts, especially Cantonese martial arts, uh -huh. uh, to watch that because I kind of break down Sifu, Siheng, Sikong, what all those terms mean in detail, which includes all the different delineations of uncle. All right. So in, uh, in Chinese families and Chinese, the Chinese Kung Fu family is just an extension of the type of family terms you would use at home. It's not the same exact ones, yeah. but the way that um, your, the Kung Fu family terminology is set up, like the hierarchy within a Kung Fu school, is based on the same model of uh, the like normal family trees in, in, in Chinese culture. And as a matter of fact, my video, the not so complicated Kung Fu family tree, actually copied a video that went over the normal Chinese family tree. And they did it in super, super high speed because it's so complicated and it just keeps going. It's like, and then your uncle's uncle is called, but then the sister of your uncle, and it goes really bad and you learn all, and they have terminology for all of these things. Like in English, when you say uncle, it can be the brother of either of your parents mm -hmm. and they could either be older or younger than your parents or to a certain degree, the uncle could even be a non-related friend of your parents, right? Uh, the, 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 the auntie was our favorite one. Yes. It's like the dinner lady. Yes. So, so the thing is that uh, we, we're so much more vague. Like when you say things like cousin or uncle in English, you often have to explain then, uh, oh, this is the brother of my, this is of my mother. So then you go, oh, okay, this is your uncle on your mom's side, right? Well, in Chinese culture, you don't have to do that because they have different terms for 
aunt, let's just say, leave it for uncle. Mm -hmm. There's a different term for uncle if it's on your father's side or your mother's side. And on top of that, there's a different term if that uncle is older or younger than your father or mother. Yeah. So that means that just by the specific term you use in, in Chinese, the term you use for uncle, the Chinese person would hear it and they would know just from the term you use, this is on the paternal side and this is a younger brother to your father. Right. Just by the term. Yeah. In a way that in English, we just have the nebulous uncle and then we would have to like further explain it, right? Now, the Kung Fu family tree is not quite as robust as the regular Chinese family tree, uh, which is why I was able to do it in a much shorter video. Um, but we do have some distinctions, all right? So uncle is usually the older or younger Kung Fu brother of your Sifu, your Sifu being kind of somewhat of a patriarch father figure, right? And your, your Sifu, your teacher, your father figure in martial arts, has most likely older Kung Fu brothers himself and younger Kung Fu brothers. Yeah. Okay. So the question is, well, what do you call an older Kung Fu brother of your own Sifu? Because that person is not your Sifu and they're senior to your Sifu, but they're not your Sifu. So what do you call them? Well, that person is uncle. That is an older uncle. And you would call them Sibak. Sibak is anyone who's an uncle, an elder brother of your Sifu. But then your Sifu probably has people who started after him. And they're also your uncle, but they're younger in the Kung Fu family term than your Sifu, and they're Sizok. So that's why if I said Sizok, someone knows, oh, young, a Chinese person would know, oh, the younger brother of your Sifu. Or Sibak, oh, the older brother of your Sifu. Very, very clear, right? But now his question was great uncle. So I'm just going to assume he's asking about the ones one generation higher than your Sifu. Okay, because Sibak and Sizok are the general terms for older and younger uncle, respectively, uh, in relation to your own Sifu. But now, if we go to your Sigong, all right, your Sifu Sifu, your Sigong also has older and younger brothers, all right, and they would, I suppose, be your great uncles, yeah. all right. So, if someone is in your Sigong's uh, generation and they are older or younger, but same Sifu as your Sikong, then you also have the older and younger distinction to your Sikong, but you add one more word to it. So if the person is senior to your Sikong, the elder brother of your Sikong, they are your Sipakong. Oh. So you add the Gong, the Gong means it's from the, I'll put it translated loosely, from the Gong generation, right? your Sikong generation. And then if that person is the younger brother of your Sikong, they're Sikong. So you basically just add Gong. And then one more generation higher, your Si Zhou, for example, then you would just add Zhou at the end. Si Bak Zhou, Si Bak, or Si Zuk Zhou. But that's very rare, all right? But it happens in bigger, uh, bigger schools, like uh, the Lerngting school has so many generations and so many people, so you have that stuff. So yeah, that is a great uncle. So we have uh, time for a quick one? Yeah, sure, we can all have right. a, a quick one, you know what I mean? <laughs> Here comes. Uh, we'll get no. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Well, that's a that's a comment. We'll save that one for the next one, just because mm -hmm. um, I have thoughts. But anyway, um, yeah. Which one? Uh, Dimitris Lauz. I don't know if I pronounced that correct, but I think he might be German. Might be German. Oh might wow! Are German. you gonna? Okay. So see how interesting. Wie viel Bruce Lee hat geschlafen? Oh, the question is, wie viel hat Bruce Lee geschlafen? Yeah, wie viel Bruce Lee hat geschlafen? That's what's written down here. Wow. 
how much did Bruce Lee sleep? Is that before or after the cocaine? Mm. Bada bing! And that's all I gotta say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. If you have any questions that you want me to answer on a future episode of the Kung Fu Genius podcast, put those in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seekung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilled. Alex Richter, always the victor. All right, okay. Um, <clears throat> here we go. One take Willie here. It's better than one-eyed Willie. Hey. <laughs> I just watched our like last episode, which is not the last episode, but the one before, one, two, three. And I'm scratching my nose like a maniac and I look like a coke addict and the whole thing. And you know what happened? I had really bad allergies and I like, I didn't realize like, I, I looked up and I'm going like, every time I'm talking to, I think it's Dre, I'm going like this. I'm going like this. Like, and I, and I looked at him and I'm like, oh my God, I look like a coke addict on the thing. <laughs> Everyone, that's how he does all the work. That's how I get it all done. That's how he gets it all done. Oh, 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 oh,